Well, welcome to the Burand and Associates podcast insurance banter. In each one of our episodes, we help you experience insightful discussions that you can turn around and implement in your business just immediately to become a more effective insurance professional. And today, Chris and I are joined by Chris Beheimer from uh, Markel. Good morning, Chris and Chris. This is going to be this is going to be hard. I can't even use Chris B because that that doesn't differentiate either. Well, that that's an excellent point. Uh, Chris Durand and myself had a were on a conference call several years ago with another Chris with the same last uh, last name or last initial. So that was a little bit confusing, but hopefully we can work this out. It'll be good. Well, um, and and Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? It's it's extensive. We appreciate being able to get some of your insights today. Oh well, thank you, uh, and it's uh, I, I'm thrilled to be a part of this program today. Uh, I started out in the insurance industry uh, decades ago, uh, 43 years to be exact, uh, working for uh, Century Insurance in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. Moved out to Arizona uh, later on in 1977. Have had uh, a number of positions with uh, product development, marketing, training, and that's pretty much what I'm doing right now on the training side. And one way to describe what we do or what I do is we use training as a marketing tool. And uh, pre-pandemic, I was going around the country doing live continuing education classes for some of our wholesale partners and their retail clients. And that's essentially as a director of client education, that's what I do. Very nice. Well, on that, you have the the clients that you're working with and both inside and outside the company where education's a value. Um, for just the um, regular agent going on out there, how do they provide value to their clients? Well, that's a tremendous question. And and this goes back to actually when I first got started in the business and Chris Buran and I have had this discussion on numerous occasions. Uh, you know, people a lot of times, and if you see the advertising, they're advertising based on price but there's price and value. And unfortunately with insurance, the value, you don't really determine what the value is until after you've had a loss. For instance, if you go into a retail store and buy a brand new, super high definition television set, you know, you can determine fairly quickly whether that product is for you just by seeing it in the store. If you take it home, if it doesn't work, you take it back. Uh, With insurance, you really find out what the quality of the product is after a claim has occurred. And by that time, it's kind of hard to, uh, you know, you can't put the horse back in the barn because it's already gone. So I think agents have to develop a relationship with their clients, their customers, the policyholders, and provide something that goes beyond just the price of the product. Uh, I was reading a, an article the other day about uh, you know, the steps in selling in a hard market and it's the building the relationship and an insurance, any product really, there are four factors, price, product, service, and reputation. And you have to address all of those. And uh, I read another article this morning about embedded insurance. Uh, A lot of millennials specifically want to have the auto insurance. 72% of the people that replied to this survey uh, from uh, Property Casualty 360 said uh, they wanted to buy insurance as a part of purchasing the car. And that kind of goes against the whole value proposition. And that's why 
I think it's difficult for agents to figure out what their value really is, but it is important. No question. Absolutely. And I know, uh, Chris, your aunt, um, you spend a good portion of your practice, right, in education and getting in front of agents and helping them. Uh, what have you seen in that space for the, the professionals that do take advantage of the education? It's, it's kind of fun. And, um, and simultaneously, it's extremely frustrating because the agents that really take pride, really learn their craft and take the steps required, it's a lot of hard work. But without exception, they sell more. Their average account size is larger. They have better relationships and really friendships with their clients. Fewer E&O claims. And really, I, I think they have a better work-life balance from what I can see. And yet, with all of those values and all of those benefits of doing things what I would call the right way, um, the vast majority of agents decide to take shortcuts and do it differently. And, um, you know, their value, whatever their values in life are, are, are very different. This is a big industry and there's plenty of space for people that want to take shortcuts. I've met many agents that have been selling insurance for a long time and literally, which is beyond my understanding, have never even read a single insurance policy, not even their own. So, um, man, I don't know what value those folks provide to their clients. I have no clue, uh, but somehow or another, they get paid anyway. So... It's a big industry. There's a place for everybody, I guess. And then, well, and then Chris is the director of education and training, right? How, how does that, how have you seen it allow agents to offer value? Well, I, I think to, to Chris's point, and he wrote an article in the insurance journal back in December of last year, talking about boutique agencies and how they go about uh, providing the, the additional value and so forth. And just from a pure training standpoint, and uh, like I mentioned, I do a lot of continuing education classes, live classes, and we tend to focus on, you know, coverages and examples and case studies and so forth. And I think it's so important for people to understand that insurance is not a commodity. The policy that company A sells is not the same policy that company B sells. And an agent, a good professional agent, using their training and their knowledge can help people uh, un uncover exposures to loss. A perfect example, you have a child that goes away to school, like my daughter when she went away to college. And I had a discussion with the uh, agent to tell them that, well, she's not going to have a car. So uh, just rate the car differently, because obviously, if she's not driving the car, then the rate's going to go down. So the agent called me back and said, we got that taken care of, but I want to let you know that while your daughter has property protection while she's in, living in the dorm in school, she doesn't have any liability coverage. And I thought, well, that sounds kind of strange. So I, I pulled out my policy and I read it and I had skimmed through it before, but I, I, I wasn't quite sure they were right. So I called the agent back and I said, can you get back to the underwriter, a uh, company underwriter, and tell them or ask them, 
where in the policy the liability isn't covered? And they called me back later that day and said, well, the underwriter made a mistake. So not only is it the, the agent that needs the additional education, but the uh, the company underwriters too. And I've had uh, the opportunity with trade associations and then through what I do with Markel uh, to have both under uh, both company and agency personnel in the class. So it's, it's an ongoing process. It never stops. I've been in the business since 77 and I'm still learning stuff new every day. So it doesn't stop. And the value of a good underwriter can't be overstated. So when you find one, I mean, you just, I hold on to them like grim death. Uh, one thing that I've noticed in, in working with um, different account managers, producers over the years, a lot of times the, the default response to a question they have is, well, I'll just call the underwriter. And to your point, that's always, I'm always like, well, you don't know. I mean, there's some good ones, but there's some not good ones. And so um, let's, let's read the policy first. And I have one uh, person I work with at the agency really closely now. And I'll get a call and and it's always this. I already know what you're going to tell me. So I read the policy before I called you. But which, you know, that's and, and again, to your point. I read the policy before I called you, asked the questions and, and I'm learning stuff along with them. It's a it's it's a journey you take together. Thank yeah. You. Yeah. And, and to your point about under, company underwriters and I've been on the company side uh, for most of my career, I worked for an association for three and a half years, but, and I, and I joke, I joke with my class and I said, you know, you have underwriters and some of the underwriters are good underwriters and good underwriters look for a way they want to grow their book of business. They want to build the relationships. They look for ways to write an account as opposed to ways to turn it down. And I I'll tell joke with the class and say, I'm sure you have some underwriters who you have created uh, creative nicknames for, uh, like <laughs> Dr. No. And um, you hope you you make the phone call when you think they're at lunch so you can get their backup. So I, I know exactly what you mean. It's And that's and one of the things that we've tried to do in our organization is to help our underwriters understand the value proposition. Uh, look at it from the standpoint of building relationships, providing the, the a good product, the good service, and so forth, and then to communicate with with their clients, and that's that's key, regardless of where you are in the chain. Let me let me point out a couple of things along the, the underwriter line here. When I teach insurance classes to retail agents, I find that there's a massive massive misconception that agents have about calling an underwriter and the underwriter says, yeah, that there's coverage there. They, the majority of people at the agency level think that if the underwriter says that, that the underwriter has changed the policy language in such a way that there's coverage is guaranteed. And for all the agents out there listening, that doesn't mean anything. It has no value whatsoever that the underwriter says, yeah, it's going to be covered. They, the underwriter has no authority to change the policy form unless the underwriter provides a manuscript endorsement that's approved by the correct authorities within the carrier. The underwriter's job is to accept a risk or to decline a risk. 
An underwriter's job is not to determine coverage, and they have no authority to do it. So for all the agents out there that are making the mistake of saying, well, I asked the underwriter if it was covered. He said it was. So that's all I need to do. Um, Stop that. Stop it now. (laughs) Send out a a memo to every one of the agency. Don't do it again. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no... I, I don't think that would go over well when the when the claim does happen and it's in court and they try to say, well, the underwriter said, well, yeah, get it in writing. Yep. Sure. So and one of the things with all of this education and it's there's so much flux within the industry right now. In fact, I was working on an account that was in the in the standard what we call standard lines. And it's it's a line of business that's being frowned upon by most standard lines. A lot of carriers are getting out. And the only option was then to place it into the surplus lines um, arena. And, and, and Chris, you spent your most of your career you're in the in the surplus lines. What's different about that? Because that's one place where, like Chris talks about, well, the underwriter said, I find massive amounts of misunderstanding about you know surplus lines that it's oh it's always it's always worse or you 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 just always want to default to the standard lines what what do people need to know about surplus well and that's an excellent question and uh, surplus lines is misunderstood by a lot of uh, regulators uh, a lot of uh, independent agents and so forth and it's really it's it's a safety valve it's a segment of the market that uh, agents can go when they find a risk or a risk has uh, unusual characteristics. And typically it's either high limits, it's distressed, or it's un- very unusual. Um, and the standard markets have decided for whatever reason, either lack of expertise or whatever, that they don't want to play in that particular market. So they say, no, you're going to have to go to the surplus lines market. In 2021, that segment of the industry wrote about 82 billion or roughly 10% of the total PNC premium in the United States. And about uh, about 20% of the commercial lines premium goes into surplus lines. Uh, and what I tell agents all the time, and this goes back to an acronym uh, Bill Wilson uh, came up with years ago, RTF, read the form or RTP, read the policy because there are coverage differences between standard and surplus lines. Uh, For example, some surplus lines policies will have a a minimum earned premium of 25% or higher. They will have uh, for bars, restaurants, nightclubs, they might have an assault and battery limitation or exclusion. Um, We, we had a, uh, a request to, uh, I got a phone call from an agent that wanted to, to write, said, do you write camps? And I said, well, yeah, we do write camps. What kind of camps? And there was a moment of silence and I thought I'd maybe figured it out. It was an adult clothing optional camp. And which is not necessarily a bad risk. In my mind, it's actually a little bit better risk than a children's camp. But normally you think of summer camps where the kids are frolicking and running around and canoeing and horseback riding and all that stuff. But this was a little different camp and the standard markets had elected not to insure it. So the only the the big and it's not really a caution. 
it's more of an awareness. It's an education that when you place business through a surplus lines intermediary, and I'll talk about that in just a second, in the surplus lines market, you need to pay a little bit more attention to the coverage forms because not all coverage forms in surplus lines are the same. And to that extent, there was an article yesterday in Insurance Business America. I think, yeah, uh, Insurance Business America that talked about, you know, picking the right wholesalers to use the intermediaries, whether it's a a managing general agent, managing general underwriter, surplus lines broker, but to spend some time picking out those people, those organizations that fit within what type of business you write. And it was an interesting article because several people are saying on the, uh, from the company side or from the wholesaler side, and actually both that, you know, don't just shotgun a submission to five or 10 different wholesalers, pick out two or three that you use on a regular basis. So it's, it's a, it's an interesting segment of the market and a lot of cyber high limits of coverage, unusual risks in the marine risks so it's there's there's a lot of value there there really in my mind to the insurance buying public because the standard markets are saying no we don't want to write that particular risk so you end up in surplus lines i know we're at least where we're at and i talked to other agencies that are in really um cat exposed areas even lines that you are traditionally used to placing in the standard markets, there's been, there's a lot of change, friction, volatility there right now, where things that were, you know, standard markets, you would think you'd be able to access them, all of a sudden it's switching to um, surplus lines just because the standard markets are withdrawing for modeling reasons, cap reasons, things like that. Uh, So it's very interesting. As far as selecting those brokers, how how would you suggest going about doing that? Because you definitely do want to find a good wholesaler to work with. Well, I think it's um, there. There are a number of factors. Uh, uh, response time uh, is a big one. And what type of, what type of markets or what type of uh, risk do you generally see? If it's the main street, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, the small contractors, the daycare centers, and so forth, you're probably going to want to go to uh, uh, a wholesale intermediary that works in that market that has binding authority. If uh, you have a big book of business of uh, directors and officers or cyber or, uh, you know, standalone EPL, any of those types of coverage or large uh, regional contracting firms, you might want to go with a broker that has a little bit more expertise in that area. And, you know, uh, the, the local associations, the independent agents associations around the country, if the state has a surplus lines association, that's a good resource to find, uh, you know, okay, who, who in the area, and that's something else I like, to uh, I've I've seen work well where you kind of stay in your area. Like if you're in Colorado or Utah or Arizona, you don't necessarily want to be working with a wholesale intermediary in New York or Atlanta. Now, if it's very specialized, then yeah, maybe. But uh, look at the associations. Go to you know go to the meetings. The, the wholesalers out there, there are a tremendous number of very good wholesale intermediaries. 
And they're always looking for good retail agents to funnel business into them. And as a matter of fact, through the first six months of uh, 2022, I haven't seen a year in numbers yet. Uh, the wholesale segment, surplus line segment grew 32% in 2022. So it's going to be real close, if not more than $100 billion by, by the end of the year. Uh, 2022, I should say. Let, let me add a couple of other recommendations to everybody listening about picking uh, wholesalers, especially based on um, the horrendous E&O claims I learned about late yesterday afternoon involving a particular, uh, what I would argue would probably be a fraudulent wholesaler. Uh, one is, especially if it's a smaller wholesaler, get a certificate of E&O insurance. Verify that they have their own E&O insurance. Next, verify that they actually have a license. Believe it or not, there are some wholesalers that don't actually have licenses that uh, may be operating. And then last, um, but absolutely not least, because this is one of the keys to this E&O claim I, I learned about yesterday afternoon, is ask the wholesaler, especially if it's a smaller one, if it's one of the big shops, you don't have to worry about it, I don't think, is do you actually have a contract and a license with that company, with that carrier? Because in this case, they didn't. And the retail agencies might probably be on the hook for the whole thing. And it's a very large claim. Well, I hate to end on, on an E&O thing, but uh, this has been a great discussion. Chris, thank you so much for coming in and sharing some of your insights. I think the, uh, and, and Chris Buran's talked about it for, for years and years and years and years, is that you can set yourself apart by being an expert in, in the business. Educating yourself then allows you to educate the clients and uh, take advantage of the full breadth of the market, not just rely on, on hearsay. You're able to rely on your knowledge and access those things. Um, Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. And anything, Chris, that, that you want to wrap up with, uh, how people could, could get in contact with you if they need education? Or are you, um, where do you offer your education for the most part, just through, through, through Mark Calvin? Well, yeah, typically what will happen is, for example, uh, I got a, a, an email a while back from one of our uh, wholesale partners in Atlanta, and they wanted to do some CE classes. So I will go in and do, in that particular case, the CE classes for them. Uh, other cases, uh, one of our wholesale brokers will contact me and say, we want to have a CE class. They will invite their retail clients in to either uh, offer, I've done. I've done it at, uh, you know, in movie theaters, hotel ballrooms and so forth. So, um, you know, you can track me down through uh, Chris, Chris Buran and uh, yeah, we'll be, uh, we'll be more than happy to help them out. Yeah. Be happy to. Perfect. Well, gentlemen, thank you so very much. And we appreciate everybody listening and we'll talk to you next time. All right. Thanks again, everybody. Thank you. You bet.